Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Sports Data Science at Benfica, Sudarshan Gopaladesikan. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So from now on, I'm going to call today's guest Suds, and you'll understand why when we uh, when we kick off this episode, because I absolutely butchered his name. So from now on, we'll go with Suds. So the reason I got Suds on was, I think there's still this mystique around data science, what data science is, what data science isn't. And I quoted a job description in the, in, in the first part of this episode which was at a football club here in the UK and it kind of led to this conversation which was the confusion around is data science just someone that knows Excel really well and can deal with numbers or is it something deeper than that? Clearly we know it's something deeper than that but I think it's really important to communicate that from the inside, from the people who are deep within it like Suds is. So in this episode, we chat around that, what data science is and what data science isn't. And then we have a little chat around how his role at Benfica and what he does at Benfica influences various other departments. So sports science department, strength and conditioning, and then from there, the technical and tactical side of the club. So it's a fascinating chat. It's something that I've been wanting to do for a while because like I say, this mystique around data science. So even if you're not a data scientist or even thinking about data science, this is super, super important because it's just gonna get bigger and bigger over time. So I hope you enjoy this chat with Suds. There's so much to take away, so much to take in, but I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra-high G capabilities to quantify high-impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defence and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Sudarshan Gopaladesikan. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this evening, I am delighted to welcome Sadashan Gopaladesikan. Desikan, Gopaladesikan. Gopaladesikan, I nearly got there. I was, I was so Sorry. sure I had to get it, I had to do it and get it and, and, and try. I think it's disrespectful yeah. just to go suds, but from here on in, we'll go suds. That's fine. The courage to try was 90% of it, so that's fine. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I get super nervous saying people's names. Even if it's Smith, I'm like, can you just say that back to me just so I make sure I get it right? Right, yeah. So I appreciate you uh, 
I appreciate you, you, you thanking me for giving it a go. But Suds, from now on, but Suds, if anyone doesn't know who you are, would you mind giving us a bit of a background? Because it's super, super interesting background, which is why part of the reason why we've got you on. Um, but yeah, your background, education, uh, and what you're currently doing in uh, Benfica. Okay, sure. Thank you for having me on, uh, Rob. Um, it's quite exciting to be on this podcast after hearing uh, my very close friend Patrick Ward on it one time a couple of years ago. So comes full circle in the sense. <laughs> um, so yeah, my name is Sudarshan. Uh, I go by short name Suds. Uh, if I ever meet uh, someone in person, you can feel free to come up with your own nickname. Um, so very easygoing in that sense. I'm currently the head of sports data science at uh, Benfica, SL Benfica in Lisbon, Portugal. Uh, focusing on all sorts of analytics, uh, all, sort of, all sorts of performance analytics uh, for uh, professional football, youth team football, and then Benfica also has five other sports that are indoor, basketball, volleyball, hockey, uh, futsal, and handball. Um, so how I got here, uh, I'm not Portuguese. Um, I am American Indian. So my parents are from India. I was born in the east coast of the U.S. in Pennsylvania. I studied mathematics at Swarthmore College, which is like a very small liberal arts school um, close to University of Pennsylvania. Uh, and after those four years of college, I didn't want to go do more schooling after that. It was quite brutal, um, the amount of coursework that we had, even just as an undergrad. And so I went uh, to Microsoft to be part of the product team of Power BI, or what is now called Power BI. Um, a lot of things happened being at the right place at the right time. Uh, I was introduced to people that were working on uh, Azure Sports Analytics platform uh, with the Seattle Seahawks being one of the key customers uh, at the time. And um, trying to understand how we could use data science or Power BI for some of the data that the Seahawks uh, were collecting. And through the relationship with the Seahawks uh, and Microsoft being the entity that did this, uh, I had a lot of good opportunities to meet clubs from around the world. And one of the clubs was um, Benfica. After about uh, two and a half years of being at Microsoft, working and consulting with different teams, um, I really fell in love with Lisbon as a city, and I fell in love with the philosophy and the culture of the club uh, at Benfica, especially the dedication to player development and youth development here. So at some point I said, okay, I, I really want to be inside of a club. I really want to see what it looks like in the day-to-day, -day, and that's how I am here. Um, I would say that I'm a bit lucky in the sense that I feel like my academic um, upbringing plus the kind of three years at Microsoft, which taught me to be a bit customer-centric, um, primed me well to be put into a sport environment like Benfica. I think without the combination of those two things, I definitely would feel more uh, fish out of water than I feel right now. Nice, mate. So do you work with any of the team, the, the Benfica teams, or just the football? Yeah, so right now our focus was primarily with football. Uh, we have plans to expand our uh, support uh, and innovation to the other sports. Um, but we first wanted to spend, I guess, some time to understand, well, what is data? How is it used? Who uses it? What are the different technologies that we need to have to store the data, to collect it, um, to analyze it, to report it? And um, we wouldn't want to scale too quickly without first trying to understand the basics. And so football is the biggest business in Benfica, so that's where we started. But uh, historically, Benfica is a multi-sport organization, so our goal is to expand into these sports at some point, uh, at least by the start of next season. What's the team like there? So it's in terms of the data science, the, sorry, the sports data science team, and how has that grown? Just to give people a bit of an insight into like the the growth of this of this area i don't know the answer what you're going to say so i'm hoping it <laughs> is a, a big growth over the last couple of years but i'm assuming it is yeah so i i joined um i joined benfica around july of 2017 uh it was just me um i have to give all credit to my boss uh joan copetto who is the cio of the club who had this idea of 
bringing in someone who is a data scientist internally um, instead of just working with some sort of external researcher or academic researcher. Um, so he was the one that uh, pitched the idea to senior leadership at the club saying, okay, uh, we should try to bring in a data scientist and see what he can make sense of the data that we've been collecting. Um, Benfica has been a forward-thinking club, I think, for over a decade in the sense that we've developed uh, an internal AMS system. Um, we've had a lot of uh, data sources available to us for quite um, some time and quite uh, some years. So the issue was that we had this AMS system and we had all this data that we were collecting, but we weren't generating many insights from it or understanding what can we use this information for. So um, I joined around July 2017 and realized that we had data coming from GPS devices, data coming from heart rate monitors, data coming from uh, something called optical tracking, which is the position of the players on the field uh, using computer, like using cameras and computer vision to understand an XY coordinates where they are on the field. And then a bunch of data coming from the AMS systems about wellness, readiness, uh, the standard uh, nine yards. But uh, all of it was kind of disparate. It was all in different uh, locations and none of it was brought together or combined together. So um, it first started with me just doing a lot of data transformation and data modeling to make sure that the player um, listed in the AMS system was the same player ID in in the GPS system was the same player ID in the heart rate system was the same player ID in the optical tracking system. And so, uh, the first few months, I'd say first uh, half year was just really pro creating a proper data model. And if anyone is building out a, a data strategy within your organization, I, I can't stress that enough is having a proper data model will dictate how quickly you can uh, advance in your other projects. Uh, just because um, your data model will define how easily you can access the information that you need and how quickly you can query it and things like that. And so it's not a, an area, it's not a sexy area, but it's not an area to skimp on. Um, so first uh, six months was really focusing on that. Um, and then we did like an audit of all the different sorts of requests that we were getting within the club. And we realized that my two hands weren't enough for, <laughs> for being able to handle all of that. So we brought two more people on, um, uh, from college, straight out of college. Uh, so they were more junior data scientists, but we brought them on because they love football. They love Benfica. Um, and, uh, they were willing and curious to be part of something new within a very historic club. So um, when we had the three-man team, we split our work between tactical analysis, uh, human performance, or sports science, and then uh, the third section was more youth development um, or like administrative youth football. And so uh, we did that for about a year and a half, uh, but the thing about it was we were very reactive, so we just kept answering questions that people asked of us week to week day to day, um, everything was very reactive and nothing really fit into a bigger picture. And so in the last six months or last eight months, we've really been trying to understand um, how can the sports data science team be an arm within the uh, organization to act as the group that reflects on processes that tries to understand, okay, we hear people or we hear the subject matter experts asking these sorts of questions. It fits into this bigger topic of trying to understand how we can measure uh, a player's fitness or fatigue levels um, without uh, introducing too many touch points to the process or uh, introducing too much of a staff burden. And so um, I would say that now we're a team of about five people, uh, three data scientists, two data engineers, two data analysts who help us make sure that the data is modeled well. And our main goal is primarily to serve um, as the reflective arm of the club to analyze the data that we have to reflect on the processes that we have, whether current or suggesting new processes that could help as well. And then working with the subject matter experts, whether they're video analysts or sports scientists um, to validate the idea, to rapidly prototype uh, what something could look like a proof of concept. And then if that all looks good, then put something into production and implement something that can hopefully go on the pitch. So many questions off the back of that. <laughs> Firstly, the Microsoft 
time at Microsoft and you don't have to say names, but just to give people a bit of context from the team that you came from at Microsoft and maybe other teams as well within the organization, how many clubs will you be, or how many clubs will be tapping into your expertise at one time? Because at, at Microsoft, at Microsoft, yeah. I mean, I know you said you were working with the Seahawks, but how many other Seahawks kind of communication is there with various clubs? Yeah, is it, it was, quite a small it, number? Is it quite large? It was quite large from the first phase of the fact that many teams use Office 365, many teams use Excel, um, and many teams want to be able to understand what they can do with their data. Um, so the number of teams we spoke to in initial phases, I think, was quite large. And it was good enough experience for me to speak to teams to understand what their pain points were, to understand what they cared about. Um, but the number of teams that we actually worked with I maybe could count on both hands or even one hand, um, simply just because even three, four years ago, the idea of using cloud-based analytics, um, something that you need to develop yourself, it's not something that's just coming uh, directly out of the box, wasn't uh, one formulated well on our side. So we didn't, we, we, I think we might have come across in those beginning years as too nerdy, as too technical. Um, without really understanding the context of uh, sports organization. And I think on the other side, sports organizations didn't have a clear understanding yet of what they really wanted to do or how they really wanted to use the data and how they could implement that in a day-to-day -day perspective. So the number of teams we actually got to work with was, was quite um, small. Although I hear now that Microsoft does work with quite a good number of teams, but they're mainly non-football teams. Football teams are a different beast when it comes to analytics and then implementing whatever you learn into uh, the pitch. So when you say football, it's soccer, you mean? Soccer, soccer, yeah. Okay, soccer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm happy with football. I'm just thinking of your, of your time with the Seahawks and me thinking, is it football or soccer? No, that's good. That's good. I've lived in Portugal three, three and a half years, so... I've... It's football. <laughs> <laughs> nice, mate. And you, you mentioned there about the... When you came into the club, there was a lot of data sources, but maybe that cohesion wasn't quite there. And that was that's something you've been working on since. Is that something that you've found, again, using your, uh, using your time at Microsoft, that's quite common? That there's lots of data streams, but pulling all these together isn't, is the, I suppose, is the real thing that people are lacking? Yeah, I think it was, um, I mean, I think a lot of the AMS systems today, they really uh, sell um, the strong points of being able to take all of the sources that you collect on a day-to-day -day basis and put it all into one place uh, to be able to get a, like a 360 uh, picture of the athletes. Um, but I think it's true that most clubs, they'll have data coming from many different sources, but combining it all together it can be a bit of a pain in the ass. Um, and uh, that's primarily, I think it's primarily one of the reasons why football can be a bit siloed at times is because the video analysts, they'll be working with their tools and they'll be generating their own data. Um, but they're really working with their tools and the data that they know. And then the sports scientists or the strength conditioning coaches, they'll be working with the tools and the data that they know. And very rarely can, is it easy to merge that sort of data in Excel or merge that sort of data using uh, even a tool like Power BI. Um, it really helps being able to have proper uh, ETL, like extraction, transformation, loading uh, methods to be able to bring this data, having like a player library so you know that these IDs from these different sources map to the same athlete. Um, and it takes a little bit of data engineering work that I think operational staff should not be spending time on they 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 i i humbly believe that they should be spending their time with their expertise with the athletes um on the pitch and leave more of the technical stuff to, to people like our team um so i did see that a lot in, in the clubs that uh, i was working with when you say data modeling and you mentioned about the player ids making sure they're the same and that maybe a bit of a laborious task that you first came into is there anything else that people should be aware of and conscious of if they're going down this route to have all these 
what you would class as maybe the, the boring stuff in place before you can actually move on to, to answering some questions? Is there anything else apart from the kind of player ID that you would have to put in place to be able to do that or from your experience? Mm. No, to be honest, I think the, the most important thing to have is just, um, if anyone is curious to learn more, uh, this, and I'm speaking more from a structured data set point of view, meaning like you have tables and relationships between tables and things like that, uh, something called entity framework. Um, and it gives you good guidelines in terms of you should try to create tables in your data model that are unique and that will be universal across everything. So, uh, things like that are player, um, position names, um, competition names, uh, a games table. Um, these sorts of things are very universal, no matter what you're trying to analyze. If you're trying to analyze tactical data, you would want to merge your tactical data with some sort of game ID and the player IDs associated with that and the position IDs of those players. If you're trying to merge it with uh, heart rate or um, GPS type data, you'd want to also then use game player position as uh, these universal tables. So I would say maybe the three main things are just making sure that you extract out the data that's most universal and then keep that as what I would call reference tables. Um, have tables that are going to be unique to the data, to the device. So have a table that is around uh, catapults. So you'd have maybe one table that has the activity names. Then you'd have another table that would have the period names with like an activity ID. And then that could merge to the activity table that you have for catapult. I'm only speaking about catapult because that's what we use here. Um, and then you'd have a, a statistics table from catapult and that would have a period ID and an activity ID. Um, and that would all have all the statistics for each uh, drill within a training session. And by having it this way, um, it's really quick to query the sort of information that you need without duplicating information twice or three times instead of having the actual activity name and period name in the same table as the statistics name. Um, it makes it quicker to query and it's more efficient way of storing your data. So I would say that's probably the one of the most important things. Uh, the second thing is uh, creating a method to automatically refresh the data. So um, I would hope that technology helps reduce touch points and helps reduce the amount of work that people need to do manually. And so with these sort of devices, most sports science devices these days do have an API. So spending some time and trying to understand how can I pull data using the API um, into a database or into my data model, uh, it might take some time upfront to figure out how to do that. Uh, if you're not going to buy um, an out-of-the-box AMS system that can maybe do that for you. So if you build it yourself, it might take some time, but it'll save you a lot of time in the long run for being able to query information very quickly. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest advantages of technology is that uh, we simply are doing work that uh, people have been doing for years, um, but we can at least now look at data more uh, historically and look at a wider range or a bigger scale of data. Cool. Fantastic. Yeah, that's 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 interesting for me just to get that kind of picture of the the almost the boring stuff that goes on behind the scenes before the sexy stuff gets seen i suppose yeah cool so the first can't question enough. can't stress can't stress it enough yeah the, no the boring Absolutely. stuff it's super important yeah yeah working in working in sport as a data scientist before we even go there what is data science now the reason i asked that is because there was a, a couple of jobs maybe one or two that came up in the uk okay. probably 12 18 24 months ago and they were in the academy there were a data science job and you looked at the spec and it was basically a sports scientist that had Excel skills and it okay. got a bit, it got hammered a little bit, but I think that probably reflects and maybe, maybe it's got better, but a bit of a lack of understanding of where it actually sits and what it actually is. So it'd be good to get your insight from, been in the, in the thick of it. Uh, have you taken your glasses off there? Oh no! no. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, my nose. <laughs> um, just to give a bit of an insight into you know your thoughts about what it is and where it does fit. Mm -hmm. um, 
So a data scientist, in my opinion, is someone who has a statistics background or a mathematics background or even a computer science background, but has learned how to um, make use of the advancements that uh, either Python or R or even Rust or Scala or, these sort, or Julia, many different types of statistical programming language uh, out these days. Um, they've learned how to take advantage of these sort of like libraries and packages that very smart people have uh, built and made it easy to use. Um, and so for me, I think data science is someone that uses these sorts of algorithms to build uh, models, um, whether it's trying to predict something, whether it's trying to classify something, whether it's trying to create like a recommendation system. Uh, using the information that we have and going a little bit above and beyond a sort of descriptive statistic type analysis. So um, I would say a data analyst or a business intelligence analyst is someone that can look at the data, maybe try to come up with some uh, linear trends, uh, maybe do some averages, uh, some month over month or week over week type analysis. Uh, but they might not necessarily be able to build predictive models or be able to do statistical inference tests. And so I think a data scientist is someone that adds a little bit of that statistical magic to the descriptive statistics world and does some sort of inference testing, uh, understanding if two populations are very similar to one another or not. Um, I'm sure on this podcast, many people have spoken about smallest worthwhile change and magnitude of inference things like that as well. And then on top of that, um, being able to build uh, regression models that can um, create relationships between two disparate uh, sources. Uh, a good example of that would be you know, GPS and heart rate or um, trying to make use of all of the information that we get from a tactical point of view and relating that to a performance or creating some sort of overall performance metric. And so... Uh, this sort of work requires a little bit more than just Excel, and it requires uh, a little bit more than just saying, okay, this person's passing accuracy was this, this person's total distance was this. Um, it's going one step beyond and saying that, okay, we can't, we can not only describe what we're seeing uh, in our data, in our historical data, but we can characterize, um, categorize, and contextualize the information that we have right now. And we can also make efforts to potentially predict something into the future as well. Do you think the gap between sports science and data science is getting smaller, given the sports scientists are doing a lot, are attempting to, uh, wanting to do all a lot of the things that you've described there? Yeah, no, I, I yeah. agree. Uh, for me, I fully agree. I think the the job market's also getting quite competitive. And yeah. So, um, learning a bit of data science has become a differentiating skill set, I, I feel, that I've been seeing uh, that can separate a traditional sports scientist with someone who has a little bit of expertise with working with a uh, programming language with Python or R, working with being able to store data um, in some sort of database, and then being able to automate the creation of reports or creating new sets of analysis, um, mixed modeling, regression um, or like classification type algorithms as well. So I, I do see the gap uh, reducing. Is that a good, is that a good thing for the data science community? I suppose it, it moves everything forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah it's a several. huge thing. Um, for me, I think it's a huge thing because one thing that I'm constantly learning and I know I need to continue learning is uh, language, is being able to speak the language necessary for coaching. Um, and having people within the club who also understand data and who are also data scientists themselves, even though their main hat might be sports scientist or video analyst, uh, makes a huge difference in being able to communicate ideas and try to get to the bottom of, of something. So I, I think it's a fantastic thing. I'd like to dive into that language piece. I know we were going to come on to that later, but it'd be good to drag that forward into the conversation now, if that's all right. Yeah. How, how, how important... I mean, I know you mentioned it there, how important it was, but how, I suppose how difficult has that been for you? Although enjoying sports has never been in front of a head coach and having to communicate, you know, the, the data, that the work that you've been doing to try to inform what he's going to do. 
So how difficult has that been for you? Has there been any key learnings that you've made along the way, which has made your job a little bit easier? And what are the gaps that you still need to plug to be able to do that better? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, I think I, there's like a quote, there's a quote that I'll never forget. Um, when I was at Microsoft during those three, three and a half years when I was learning how important it was to be customer centric or like end user centric was there's a close friend of mine who's at PlayerMaker right now, uh, Steve Barrett. He said something in a talk one day. He said uh, that we are monkeys uh, trying to speak to lions. Um, and he wasn't saying it in a negative connotation. He wasn't saying it in a bad way. He was just saying that coaches, they see the world in one way. They think about the, their players in a holistic sphere. Um, they have many things on their plate to think about aside from just training and match. Uh, whereas we have this one focus, we focus on improving the availability of our players. We focus on making sure that our players are available to do maximal efforts and that they can recover from uh, acute fatigue quicker uh, and, and hopefully strengthen them so that they can avoid injury. So our focus is very narrow lens. Their focus is much greater. And I think it's really helped, that quote has really helped me in understanding that um, I think it's probably something that Martin Boucher has said, or it's been said many times, is that only really speak about something if it's important, rather than speaking about things that are just interesting. So I'd say that's probably the first thing that I've learned uh, when before I came, um, was that really try to focus on things that are important uh, rather than interesting. Now, when I first arrived at Benfica, being the only data scientist and being a department outside of the core sports functions, um, my role sits up through the CIO. Um, I got quite carried away with like all the interesting things that uh, data can do and we could do. And I found that a lot of the stuff is just sitting on the shelf. Um, it's just not being used because it's interesting, sure. But uh, it either doesn't fit easily into the operational workflow. Um, it either creates too much of a burden to to change how people are doing things right now. And without being able to show the value of whatever project you are working on, it's very tough to then change the operational workflow. So a lot of things are sitting on the shelf because at one point they were interesting. Uh, they never really changed from being interesting. And so I'd say the language has really helped or the process that's helped me improve my language is creating multidisciplinary working teams. So um, every project that we try to work on, we don't work in a silo. We'll always work with our counterpart in the sports science or the human performance department. And we really rely on them to be the conduit between um, us and uh, the coach, uh, for example. And so... In this way, um, we're trying to reduce the amount of communication touch points that uh, someone might have and empowering the person in human performance to have more knowledge, to be able to do their job better, and then to be able to communicate their results in a way that can then go to a coach. So um, I think one of the things to learn was that it's okay if sports data science plays a role kind of in the shadow. Maybe it's not in the limelight. It's totally okay. Um, and really coming to terms with that and understanding that we are here to improve the workflow of um, the operational staff is uh, a really big, really big honor. And so um, our language then needs to just be aligned with the people that we primarily work with, which is video analysts, sports scientists, things like that. And then they know they have the language and the experience and the expertise to be able to communicate what's important rather than mixing up the important and interesting. So um, I'd say that that's probably been the most important uh, aspect of being able to figure out how to improve the languages. Important versus interesting, but then also working in these multidisciplinary teams and relying on the subject matter expertise of the operational staff member um, to just highlight and improve their workflow so that they can communicate information better. 
So it's good to get a very quick break in the chat with Suds. Hope you're enjoying part one. Just before we dive into part two, I just wanted to remind you of the Pacey Performance Performance Staff Survey that I undertook in partnership with Satanta College. So if you haven't downloaded it and want to get and you want to get an insight into what's going on in British football, salaries, experience, education, accreditation, all that stuff, dive onto the website and you can download it there. But part two coming up with Suds. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Output Sports, the Swiss army knife for athlete performance. So to celebrate their first year in business, after eight years of research, Output have just launched a Black Friday sale. So for the first 25 Pacey Performance listeners and followers to use the code PACEY25, you can subscribe to their bronze package with a 25% discount until December 1st, 2020. This will get you access to an Output IMU, all their measurement modules, VBT, power, wellness, RSI, Nordics, strength endurance, mobility, and more, plus access to their AMS, the Output Hub. So check it out today to bring a new level of portability, practicality, and efficiency to your athletes' testing and tracking processes. So you can learn more about Output on OutputSports.com or follow them on social media at Output Sports, where you can schedule a demo. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Fusion Sport. Fusion Sport is a global leader in human performance solutions for elite sport, military and workplace health. Fusion Sport's data management and analytics platform Smarterbase is designed to provide elite human performance organizations with a one-stop shop solution for the holistic performance management of their teams. Highly configurable and capable of allowing the integration of other systems and wearables into its operations, Smarterbase enables organizations to capture, manage, analyze, report, and share data across the whole organization. When you adopt the Smarterbase human performance platform, you're choosing more than just a product, you're choosing a technology partner and a team of consultants who have worked with some of the most elite performance organizations. Smarterbase is trusted by the world's best in human performance, including the National Basketball Association, the NBA, the LA Lakers, US Special Operations Command, the Australian Institute of Sport, and US Soccer. So visit fusionsport.com forward slash smarterbase to learn more about how Smarterbase can help turn your data into a winning advantage. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive, at-rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and this optimized performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They are also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website omegawave.com or visit their social media channels. It's really interesting based on some of the things you said, because I, I spoke to a friend who ironically works at Catapult, um, mm-hmm. you've mentioned a couple of times, and I was trying to get a bit of a, a steer on the, the, the best users of Catapult, basically so I could stalk them for the podcast. And he said that the the people that I think are using the product best are those that are, are creating a real link into the tactical side of the game and working with analysts and that and bridging that gap. And I suppose that that plays into exactly what you've just said and how you work with the experts in coaching or in sports science or human performance. That's basically exactly what you're saying, bridging these maybe silos that have traditionally been there. You're the one kind of almost pulling these things together or being conscious that they need to be what you need to be working with them rather than individually. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that goes back to one of the points that I said earlier on, which is, I think the role, if you, if an organization does have a um, data science or sports data science organization that sits outside of the operational day to day, or if you might be someone who is taking on the skills of a data scientist and has the time to reflect on 
what you do in day to day and how to improve your processes. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that we provide is just the ability to look at things from 10 meters off the ground and also 10,000 meters off the ground. Uh, so um, sometimes people just don't have time to uh, look at all the projects that they might want to do, even within their silo. So even within sports science, some people just might not have time to look at all the things that they want to uh, study or investigate just because the day-to-day -day is can be quite intense. But also, not many people have, at least what I've seen, not many people have the ability to transverse throughout the different departments. So uh, a good example of this is just if we take a look at sprinting. Um, we want to know that, like a coach, okay, so the um, sports scientist would look at the sprint in terms of, okay, uh, how many, like what distance did he cover in that sprint? What was the maximum velocity that the uh, player reached? Um, how much time uh, did he spend before his next sprint and uh, things like that. And so he would look at the world of that sprint in one way. The video analyst would look at the world of that sprint, not in that perspective, but in the perspective of uh, defensively, did it help close down space? Did it help remove passing options of the opponent? Um, was the sprint uh, a recovery run to be able to cover for maybe someone else that has gone forward? Or from the offensive point of view, uh, is the run providing a numerical advantage in that uh, area of the field where the ball is being played? Um, is the sprint uh, providing a, an additional passing option that uh, the opponent team is just uh, not able to defend? And they're not thinking about uh, what's the velocity, what's the distance, running and what i think is quite fascinating is that with data and having a good data model you can combine the data that we're getting from these optical player tracking solutions that are installed around the cameras or around the stadium the cameras that are installed around the stadium with uh, a gps device or with uh, the whatever device you might be using for uh, monitoring external load and um be able to combine this together in a very slick way. So a good example of this is that by looking at the 22 players on the field and their positions and their velocities and their speed vectors, um, there is a concept called pitch control, which uh, basically creates a heat map of the pitch um, in terms of how much space is a particular team controlling. And uh, through that, you can also calculate um, pass interceptability. You can calculate how difficult or how easy a pass might be to make. So you can then understand what are the potential options someone on the ball has. And uh, then if we take a look at the context of a sprint with relation to this sort of pitch control model, we can see if that sort of sprint actually helps uh, increase the team's uh, dominance of a particular area of the field or uh, and or uh, provided a realistic passing option uh, for the player on the ball to provide something for. And so here's a really good example of being able to um, understand how sprints can actually be seen now from the coach's point of view, which then goes back to language. Um, and then these multidisciplinary teams get us all together to speak about a sprint, not just from the physical side, not just from the tactical side, but holistically. Now we can then go and say, okay, these are the sort of successful runs, looking at the subjective expertise of our video analyst. This was a successful run. This was not so much of a successful run. And then we can then start to maybe build profiles about, okay, this is normally what is required to make a successful overlapping run. So we should prepare our athletes to be able to do this quite frequently within the game. Um, and then that's how we are now trying to combine tactical with uh, physical. So it's just one one example. It's, it instantly comes into our mind the head coach and how the role of the head coach understanding not all of what you've just said because that will be communicated in a way that is hopefully applicable to him and what he needs to know but the role of the head coach how much that must have changed over the last 10 15 20 years to be able to take the sort of information that you guys are feeding them and interpret that and put that into tactical sessions and you know, programs and uh, formations and instruction. And it's like, wowza, you don't realize the amount of, I mean, we're talking about lots of data, 
but they're getting it all, they're getting it all yes, in a more condensed way, but they're getting yeah. it all and trying to understand how this all fits together for Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. Why? I think that's the I think that's the that's the silver bullet. That's what I think every every club is trying to figure out better. Um, I don't know if anyone really has a proper answer, uh, and if they do, that's their secret sauce is um, trying to figure out. Okay, we're sitting on all of this information, but how do we then bring this information into the into the forefront? And so, I would suggest I would not suggest. Sorry, I would say that maybe in the next three to five years, five to ten years, we will start seeing better implementations of how this all works together end to end from collecting data from multiple different sources, um, collecting data from different silos, putting it together and packaging it in a way that can actually be used to make some sort of decision. Um, I'll just end that comment with saying video is king, video is king, video is queen. Um, and uh, if everything can be data-driven, bite-sized video clips, I think that's where uh, a lot of value can then be communicated. Then you don't even need to use language. Video is doing all the talking for you. Um, I think we can we can trust that, at least from my perspective of just being a data scientist, I can trust that the people around me know much more about the sport than I do. And so um, if maybe data can just help cut video clips, these video clips can uh, be the thing that we show, the interpretation uh, from someone who knows much more about the game than I do, the video might just be enough for them to be able to do their job. So um, I think we're in this phase right now of being able to properly understand what are the best implementation strategies. We're sit I think all clubs around the world are sitting on a lot of good insights. And uh, the goal now is to be able to create those conditions for success uh, in terms of implementation and then understanding how that's happening and then being able to replicate that week in, week out, month in, month out. This may be a horrendous question, Suds, but you you said three to five years, five to ten years, there's going to be a better implementation of all this. What evidence do you think we'll see to suggest that it has improved from a, from a, like, I know, bad, really bad. Really good question. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking from me, who's not in a Benfica or a Chelsea or an Arsenal or whoever, we step back and go, okay, with five years' time, how does the, what looks different? Is it just the process on the inside that looks different and more cohesive with all this decision making? It's more considered, or are we seeing something like a real tactical revolution based on this? I don't. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know if I'm next <laughs> to say tactical revolution. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's a loaded question. I don't think I'm, uh, I'm not a professor of the game like someone like Arsene Wenger, you know, so <laughs> I'll taper my response to that and maybe not be so bold. Um, but going step by step, I would say that the biggest thing that this can help provide is just creating better processes within the club. Um, understanding the importance of being able to react to day-to-day -day questions that are being asked but then trying to extract patterns out of the sort of questions that are asked frequently and tying that into a bigger picture. Um, maybe a good example of this is a uh, lot of questions that we always get asked is around uh, microcycle periodization and just load, like load monitoring and things like that. And um, we're always trying to make sure that we have the report ready for the next morning or that night. And the bigger picture question might be, you know, are we actually preparing our players? Are we periodizing in the right way so that players are peaking uh, during match day? It's not a new question. This question has been asked for, for many years. But I think technology can help um, make the process of answering these questions a bit more cleaner and a bit more focused. Um, and what we can see then from improved process or what I would like to believe and hope is that we can continually see improvements in players, maximal efforts in players' ability to um, recover quicker from acute fatigue um, in players being able to be educated. If we look at the sprints uh, situation again, one more time, if we take a look at uh, an intelligent video framework that would explain to players, this is an intelligent sprint. This is maybe not so intelligent of a sprint. Um, maybe we can then explain that's, hey, 
within a game, you make X amount of sprints per game. Uh, to use them wisely, data has been able to help identify situations uh, where a sprint can be used wisely versus maybe not be used wisely. And so we might be able to see decision-making uh, being improved. Um, another thing that we might be able to see in the, these next three to five years or five to 10 years is that, uh, and we're already seeing it now, is that teams are much more uh, prepared defensively to uh, defend, to do dogged defending, as they call it. Um, and we would be able to then see, uh, I believe, these teams have a much more uh, competitive basis in whatever league that they're competing in. So maybe not at the top of the table, but the middle of the table should look more competitive moving forward if most of these teams can adopt these sorts of strategies. And uh, I only say that because the top of the table will always have the most creative individuals and the players that have good first touch, and that'll always be the key determining factor to break a low block or a mid block. Uh, and that, that's something that we don't really know how to teach. That's natural talent to that athlete. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the backbone of it is just helping create better processes and really understanding what are the key questions we want to know to help inform player availability, player development, or the various sub KPIs that go into uh, a good performance or a bad performance. Um, I would maybe then end that with one more thing which is in the future, we should be able to, not so near future, we should be able to have a better relationship between training methodology and match day outcome to understand what exactly are we training uh, in the training week and how do we actually see that being reflected in the match. And hopefully we can then do a better um, audit of the training methodology, what are best practices, what are things that maybe we can re-review and, and change. And so hopefully we will be able to move towards a model using technology um, and data to create more efficient training methodology processes. You mentioned the common question of the program of the microcycle. Is there any other common questions that come to you from sports science, human performance that you could potentially share that may give people a bit of a frame of reference where the kind of questions that you're answering without going into too much detail and talk about the specifics of what you do at Benfica? Yeah, no. Um, we have a lot of questions. Most questions asked uh, from two from two things. One is like an immediate need, something that just needs to be answered um, because something came up in one of the coaches' meetings and the sports scientist comes to us saying, okay, I need to know X, Y, Z. Um, the other sort of questions come from our sports scientists listening to this podcast or uh, reading research papers and then coming to us saying, hey, do we think this is possible for us to implement uh, here? A good example of that would be the individualized trim, the iTRIM. So trying to create individualized trim scores for each athlete so that we're not just modeling a player's internal response based off of some generic uh, equation, but we are trying to create an equation for each athlete for us to be able to understand internal load, for us to create relationships between internal and external load, like that. Um, the other sort of questions, the two other main questions that we get are uh, a concept that's been derived, um, or it's the worst case scenario, but it's called sequences of peak intensity um, from someone in our team called uh, Jan Shimcha. And uh, a lot of the focus that we do is trying to understand uh, the maximal efforts, one minute, three minute, five minute maximal efforts uh, that players do in a match, players do in training, and how does the periodization of the week look like uh, in terms of maximal efforts, not just total distance or acceleration load or total sprinting distance, but just that one minute, three minute, five minute sprint. Um, are we actually exposing players to what they get exposed to in a match regarding their most maximal uh, demand? So understanding better maximal demands, um, what is the performance drop-off after the maximal demand, and then providing that sort of information to our sports scientists so that they can then prescribe better um, either supplementary work or work that's infused into the training session itself. Uh, they can then use their expertise to figure out how to better manage that. Um, the last bit is uh, something that I think a lot of people talk about um, is a load management calculator. 
So it's something that I think comes out of the box of many different um, AMS systems, GPS systems, but uh, it lacks sometimes the contextual information of number of people that are going to be involved in the training session, the rest in between drills, the rest in between sets, um, the dimensions of the pitch, and uh, these sort of like technical aspects of the exercise itself are sometimes not um, found within these out of out of the box solutions. So um, a data science team, whether it's us or other teams that I've spoken to as well, they try to develop a load management calculator using the historical information that they have uh, of the player uh, for each drill, but then also taking into account the more technical or tactical aspects, um, the dimensions, the number of players that are going to be involved the amount of rest that they get in between sets or the amount of rest that they get in between drills. And the nice thing about this sort of load management calculator is that it can help understand um, roughly if the load that's going to be prescribed is in line with what the sports scientist thinks is uh, correct for that particular uh, day in the microcycle. Um, and then it can also potentially flag particular players uh, for either being overworked or underworked. Um, so having this sort of model, which I think then is a good is a good explanation of what data science is, is building a, an algorithm like this. Uh, having this sort of model will then help create some sort of flags or alerts for, okay, from a team perspective, load management looks good, but maybe for this drill, these three players look like they'll be overworked. So then the sports scientist can make the decision whether to manage the minutes, maybe tell them to take a break or figure out a way to modify their training session separately. Um, so the load management calculator is something that's always a work in progress. You'll complete a version, you'll get feedback, you'll have to complete a second version, <laughs> have to complete a third version. Um, but I would say that that's probably the crown jewel of uh, sports science crossing with data science is being able to have a management calculator like this. Awesome. Well, there's a couple more things that I want to get through before I let you go. Sure. Hopefully before uh, before the hour is up. Data visualization. This is one that came up in a recent mastermind that I had three guys on. It's become a big thing as as people get into Tableau and, and, and Power BI and even the guys that are getting deep into Excel and just the basic stuff like like what graphs to use, colors, fonts, you know, how things are set up just visually, getting into I know there's people out there who are getting into this like serious design and what is aesthetically pleasing to to the eye and where the eye is drawn first. Like getting into the mind, not I suppose I say minutia. It's probably not. It's the it's probably the basics. Is there any key concepts that you live by when it comes to data visualization? Yes, if you yeah, um, and I think I'm learning every day. Uh, data visualization is something that. Perhaps I could have spent more time studying when I was growing up, but I'm studying it now as I do this life. Um, keeping it simple, like I think the the problem that at least I face and maybe other people face is that when we are learning things and we're learning new things about how to create new visualizations or uh, we created a new algorithm or uh, got new results from a new equation that we built and we just want to show it off, um, it's moving away from the concept of keeping things simple. Um, I think oftentimes a bar chart or a table chart actually really does the trick. It's what people are very used to. It's what people are used to seeing. And um, if you use a bar chart very judiciously, meaning like very use minimal color, use color only when you want to highlight a particular alert or you want to highlight a particular player or positional group, something like this, that can sometimes be enough um, and tables tables in the same way just highlight certain texts that you just want to draw attention to and then leave the rest for for numbers if someone wants to look a little bit more closely um, I would think also that's uh, an important aspect that I really like is that having little text with like a little light bulb next to the visual can also be very helpful as well so you're already doing the summary of the visual for them for the end user and then the end user has that context of, okay, they can look at the title, they can look at the legend, but they have a little text box that has a light bulb saying, okay, this is the key takeaway that is trying to be uh, represented through this visualization. 
and then just guiding the person to be able to look at the data with that correct frame of reference, I think is very important. Um, another uh, concept is to always test it internally. So luckily we have a team and we can always look at the visualization and show it to someone else and say, okay, do you get this without me telling you anything? So using a proper title, using colors very judiciously, only just to highlight certain things and then having kind of like a small little text summary or a figure description. Is that enough for you to get the concept of what's going on? If they say yes within 10, 5, 10 seconds, okay, it's a good visual. If they don't say yes, they say, uh, I don't really understand what they say here. Then, okay, back to the drawing board. <laughs> um, that said, that said uh, I would say that there are some really good visualizations that can be used outside of the, the bar and table charts. Uh, the radar graph is very good. The dial gauge is very good. So like the sort of visualization that you see on your um, odometer in your car can be very People love that down there. People love yeah, that. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a great one because you can set different um, milestones or markers and then you can see what the actual value is relative to the markers. And the box and whisker is also a really important plot, uh, not only just to show the distribution of your population, but if you want to highlight particular players within the distribution, I uh, found a box and whisker with like one or two dots uh, highlighting certain players and where they exist on that distribution can also be very helpful. Have you had any resistance to box and whisker plots from, from coaches with lack of understanding of what's kind of going on? Uh, so I primarily will show box and whisker plots for a sports scientist and okay. no, no resistance. Okay. <laughs> no resistance. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose from, from, from a technical coach, that maybe yeah. wouldn't go to a technical coach, box and whisker plot, more for a sports scientist. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah. But like I said, like I said, we, we try our best to help the sports scientists or the video analysts shine. And yes. we don't mind in our organization, we don't mind playing, uh, taking a step back, even if we're not yeah. directly interacting with the coach. Ah, uh, yeah. Cool. One last thing I want to get in there. And I think it may be reasonably brief based on what we chatted about beforehand, but it came up in a recent sure. podcast with the guys at the Football Association here in England, and it went down quite well. And there's quite a bit of discussion around it. And there's a gamification of training. Okay. What's your thoughts around that, given this, what we've just spoken about for the last hour and your expertise in this area? What's your, what's your thoughts around how we gamify what we do in the gym, on the pitch, um, with, with technology? Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm not a proper coach, like I'm not a coach by trade, so I don't know if I'd be able to properly explain on that, but from a technology point of view, I think technology can help with two things. Uh, maybe in, in one aspect, uh, if there was a player coach app where the coach can send video clips or send information to the player, um, we can have telemetry in that sort of application to see Okay, how many times is the player actually watching the clip? Um, is the player actually engaging with this app or not? And we can incentivize behavior that we want to see. So maybe the positive, the ideal behavior is having players interact and watching the clips that um, the coach wants them to see. And we can maybe create an incentive structure with the coach and the player to say, okay, if you guys are watching these clips, we can incentivize uh, some aspect of um, the training session or some aspect of the recovery session or whatever you do in your free time. Um, so that's something that maybe we can use technology to at least give the coach an understanding of who's interacting with the app and then have the coach have full cent uh, full power and be at the center of determining what sort of incentives they can create for the athlete. I think the second other aspect is more not on the athlete or coaching side, but on the staff side is that, um, Let's say we want to create or promote ideal uh, behavior of uh, cross-silo communication um, or reflecting more on processes or being able to think of new ideas that might help us uh, push the needle further. Technology just can be a great tool to use to help show that um, there's a whole world possible to explore your wildest ideas. Um, and having uh, a sports data science team means that the burden for them to do the exploration by themselves, uh, it's not there. Like they can share the burden with uh, someone uh, like a sports data scientist or if they um, 
have uh, an academic researcher to work with or something like this. And in this regard, I think technology can be used to highlight the potential of what's possible to learn or what's possible to generate as new knowledge. And that could be used as a way to incentivize staff members to continue to develop their skill set, continue to develop knowledge and um, break silos down. Maybe it's either creating new knowledge in the area of sports science or um, creating more discussions around what a sprint uh, needs on the pitch. And so technology then can be used to enable uh, either sort of scenario um, and allow someone to actually explore their wildest dreams. So I think in that regard, uh, technology can be used to incentivize what's next as, uh, as opposed to just automating the, the day-to-day workflow as we know it today. Love it, Suds. Absolutely love it. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you so much, uh, Rob. It's been great. Before I let you go, where can people reach out to you if they want to have a chat? LinkedIn, the best place? LinkedIn, yeah, LinkedIn's the best place. Uh, I do have a Twitter, but uh, I'm quite shit at using it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I'd say LinkedIn, LinkedIn, the best. Yeah, okay. LinkedIn is the best place. I am quite responsible on LinkedIn, so um, it's the best place to reach me. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so very much again. for giving up your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to speak to you, and it's great to hear that we have lots of friends in common. So yes. it's, um, well, yes. it's a pleasure to be on here. I, I, I look very high up to uh, those friends in common that you speak about, and I think they're all legends, and I've learned a lot from them. So to be following their footsteps to be here today, it's uh, an honor, to be honest. So thank Pleasure you. to have you. Absolute pleasure to have you. We'll stick around. We'll have a little chat, um, but officially, I will, I'll let you go. Thanks, mate. Cheers thank for you. your time. Good evening. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for tuning in to episode 340 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So huge thanks for tuning in. Huge thanks to Suds for giving up his time in a very, very busy schedule at this time of year over in Portugal. So also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Fusion Sport, Omega Wave and Output Sports for sponsoring this episode today. Absolutely fascinating to get Suds on and have a little chat around what data science is and certainly what data science isn't. So thank you for your support. Got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks from Australia, from the US, and from here in the UK and Europe. So thank you again for tuning in, and I will chat to you next week.